We're continuing our, our sermon series today in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, which we're calling the Gospeling Graffiti because of the powerful and evocative images and visions that God gives to Zechariah about the future. And I'd like to start today by reading an extract from the poet T.S. Eliot, uh, his work, The Rock, as he describes what it's like to be stuck in a place without direction. He says this, Endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. Knowledge of words, and ignorance of the word. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? I don't know if that resonates with you at all, this idea of being stuck in a place without direction. I mean, most of you are actually stuck in home right now with not much direction, unable to come to church, unable to go on holiday, unable to meet up with friends, and it's pretty depressing. But then even pre-COVID, with so many freedoms in this great city of London, working hard, studying hard, keeping up with friends with social media, perhaps settling down, finding a partner, trying for a family, with life full on, and yet many of us not actually pausing to think, what is it ultimately all for? On any journey we go on, we need to know the destination so we don't get lost on the way. And actually, if we know the direction we're heading in, if we, if we know the destination, it helps us to keep our bearings along the way so that when life gets difficult and the third lockdown hits, or we all are working from home, or a social revolution hits, or we take a wrong turn in life. If we know the destination, if we know the direction we're heading in, then we know where to face and we know how to keep going, and that is what this passage is all about. It is about giving us direction, something we all need right now. Now, this vision itself in Zechariah chapter 2 is focused in on the city of Jerusalem, Israel's capital and the spiritual and central hub of God's people. Since the 10th century BC, under David, the people came here to worship God. But the exile had happened in 587 BC. God's people judged because of their sin. But now Zechariah is calling his people back and saying there is a future for you here. God's plans and purposes for the world are still focused here. Come back. Now, of course, we're living in the city of London. You might think to yourself, what's the relevance of the city of Jerusalem for us today? And it is so important for us because in the wider Bible story, the city of Jerusalem always pointed forward to something greater to come. God's global church and God's heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Just listen to these words from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. In other words, these verses from Zechariah 2 about Jerusalem could not be more relevant for us because they show us where the whole of history is heading, the direction that God is taking every single human life. And so rightly understood, these verses will make sure you and I are never stuck in a place without direction. So that's where we're going. Come with me to the passage now. In verses 1 to 5, we get the vision itself. And in verses 6 to 13, we see what the right response to this vision is. First, the vision. It is a city without walls. And there are three parts to it. The size of the city, the safety of the city, the specialness of this city. First, the size of it. Let me read from verse 1. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. Now, I think this is a vision we can get our head around. Last week, it was pretty confusing with these myrtle trees and these four horns, but all of us are familiar with an architect. Um, perhaps in the streets of London, you've sometimes seen those surveyors with their high-vis jackets on. They've got this measuring equipment on a tripod. They're peering through it, sizing up a building. That is the image we are given here of this young man sizing up Jerusalem. But very quickly, an angel comes up to him and says, no, 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 this city will be different. Immeasurable by any human standard or means. This will be a city without walls because of the great number of people in it. People, verse 11, where many nations will be joined with the Lord. In other words, here is Zechariah being given a vision of global expansion. A vision of a city without any ethnic or racial barriers. A city where anyone can come to it, join it, and be a part of it. And it is a vision of the global church that every follower of Jesus Christ is a part of today, which, by the way, is the most populous, the most ethnically, most culturally diverse community in the world. According to Lamin Sene, who was professor of history at Yale University, Islam has never lost its cultural and geographic center in Saudi Arabia, such that all Muslims around the world still face Mecca when they pray today. Hinduism, despite being 3,000 years old, is still focused in North India. Buddhism, 88% of its adherents in the Far East. But Christianity, he shows, has spread into all types of cultural and geographical regions around the world. With something like 22% of Christians now living in South America. Wasn't it wonderful to hear from the popes and everything that's going on in Chile? 22% in Africa, 20% in Asia, 20% in Europe, as many, many nations are joined with the Lord, just as God promised would happen 
all these centuries ago, back in 520 BC. So do not be discouraged when you hear about the decline of the church in the West. Globally, the church continues to grow. It will be immeasurable in size. All of God's plans and purposes for this world remain focused in the church. So let's keep committed to it. Let's do everything we can to help others to be a part of it. That's the size of the city we see in this vision. Secondly, the safety of this city. I mean, back then in 520 BC, it would have sounded ridiculous to have a city without walls because that left it completely vulnerable to attack, unprotected, exposed. How on earth will a city like that be safe? Well, listen to verse 5. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. Remember the Exodus and the way God led and guided his people with a pillar of fire at night. And there's the picture here. And so shall it always be for God with his church today. Ever surrounding her with his mighty protection. I saw this week that the programmer Stefan Thomas has only two guesses left of his iron key digital wallet. Did you hear about this? Um, he's, had ten, he's got 10 guesses in total. He's had eight. He's got two to go um, to unlock $240 million worth of Bitcoin. I mean, I'm not sure if you and I, I get frustrated when I lose a password. Can you imagine how frustrating he must be with this sort of amount of money at, at stake? Anyway, it all went viral, and the ex-head of security at Facebook, um, Alex Stamos, reached out to Stefan saying he can find a side channel or uncap it, whatever that means, um, and he signed off his post saying, I'll do it all for you for 10%, call me. Which means that this um, Iron Key digital wallet is perhaps not as safe as we may think. But what God is talking about here, the vision he is giving here of the new Jerusalem, God's city, is absolutely protected and safe. Safe from the attacks of the devil. Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. God's people, the church, safe from death. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. The city of God, God's people, safe even from themselves. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil complete spiritual protection for every member of this city. Doesn't mean we won't suffer, won't fall ill, won't be persecuted, won't die suddenly. But it does mean that God will make sure that no ultimate harm will come to any of his people. Every day, his protective hand around us, no one can snatch us from it. There really is no hope greater 
than this. So the size of the city, the safety of the city. Thirdly, the specialness of this city. Verse 5. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. I'm not sure if that's something that excites you or not, this idea of God's glory being uh, within the church, his presence with us. But there really is nothing more special in the entire universe than this. Take, for example, Adam and Eve walking uh, in the Garden of Eden. What was it that made that paradise? What is, was it not that God himself was walking with them in the coolness of the day, this closeness of intimacy and fellowship? Where has all the wrong of this world come from if it was not when humanity turned its back on God, turned its back on the presence with the Lord, and yet God promised to come to his people? Why were the disciples so excited about Jesus Christ? In John chapter 1, when the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, they said, we've seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why does the writer to the Hebrews describe the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of every Christian believer as a taste of heaven? because there is nothing more special in life than the presence of God with you. And yet this is still only just a taste. Listen to the next two verses from that part of Revelation that I quoted from before. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When you can see the finish line up ahead, it helps you keep going. When you can hear the ambulance sirens it helps you to hold on do you see the destination for every Christian believer it is being face to face with God himself the creator of the universe the savior of our souls the one who purposely knitted you together in your mother's womb, the one who gave his life up for you on the cross. God is the wiper away of every tear. He's the forgiver of every sin. He's the destroyer of death itself. He's the source of all good. He is the end of all pain. He is the satisfier of all desires. Do you see where you're heading? if you are following Jesus Christ, do you know how wonderful the destination is? Because this is what will help you and I to not get lost in the here and now, not lose sight of your real home when you are stuck working from home, you can't get back home at the moment. So don't let the mundane, the monotonous drag you down. Here is a vision to lift our sights 
to the wonderful thing that God is doing in this world. He is building his church. He is protecting his church. His presence is with the church. And all of his plans and purposes for this world are found in the church, which one day will inherit the whole earth. Back then, God's people needed this vision amidst the pile of rubble in Jerusalem and the building, rebuilding project stalled. And we also need this vision today. Whatever it is we're trying to rebuild, our jobs, our marriages, our friendships, our livelihoods, this church, once we get through COVID, and here is the direction we all need. Here is the vision of the future we need to grasp and hold on to because this is what God is doing and it's absolutely certain as we're already seeing it worked out over these past 2,500 years. So that's the first thing to see from these verses, the vision. But it begs the question, if God is doing all of this, then how are we to respond? How are we to make sure we're part of this future? Well, let's move on, secondly, to the response. This is verses 6 to 13. Two parts to this. Come, verses 6 to 9, and be glad, verses 10 to 13. Let's look at each of them in turn. First, come, verse 6. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. So here is um, the prophet Zechariah now speaking. He is urging all those still in exile to come back to Jerusalem. Remember in 72 BC, Assyria took out all the northern tribes um, into uh, exile, the ten northern tribes. 587 BC, and Babylon came in, took the remaining two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin. All because of the people's sin, but we've just seen God's vision now for the future. His plans and, and purposes still focused on the city of Jerusalem. And so Zechariah is saying, look, you need to come back right away to help rebuild this city. And you can hear the urgency in Zechariah's voice with all these imperatives five times, come, come, flee, come, escape. This week I learned about the marshmallow frog. Did you know? Did you, I mean, it was on the BBC News website, you know, this is you know, helping your kids at the moment with education. Did you know it moves so slowly, the marshmallow frog, it can only cover 38 meters in an entire night. In fact, it moves so slowly, it's so slow to react um, that it will miss food crawling along its um, mouth. And dare I say it, that many people treat the imperatives of God sometimes like that. They are not quick to react to them. They are not quick to respond to them. In particular, the command from God to come to Jesus Christ. I will look into the whole Christian thing later on in life. Once I've established my career, once I've retired, yeah, I guess it's important that things are quite comfortable for me right now, and I don't want that to be disturbed, and I'm not sure Jesus is going to work for me at the moment. And Zechariah is like to any comfortable exiles in Babylon at the time, saying, no, no, you have got to come now. You have got to escape. Judgment is coming on Babylon. 
Verse 8, for this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. We saw last week that God is angry with the nations. The nations went too far in their punishment of God's people. And so judgment is now coming on them. And if God's people in exile don't want to get caught up in this judgment and they need to escape, come. Come back to Jerusalem. Come urgently. Do not delay. But in case you're beginning to think, well, here we go again. This is the sort of vindictive, angry, harsh God of the Old Testament. Did you notice the reason given for this judgment in verse 8? For whoever touches you touches the apple of God's eye. It is out of a deep, protective love for his people that God's judgment comes on the nations. Think of the person that you most cherish in life, the person you love the most, the apple of your eye. And don't you feel their pain more than anyone else's? When something unfair happens to them, don't you feel the sense of injustice all the more acutely? The more you love someone, the more you want to protect them, defend them, vindicate them. So it is with God, and God is perfect in every way. Whoever touches the church touches the apple of God's eye. He can't stand it. That word apple in the original Hebrew means gate. It's like the pupil of your eye. We know how sensitive it is, how painful it is. If we get an eyelash or someone touches the eye, that is what it's like for God. However he feels when anyone touches or persecutes his church. And perhaps one of the reasons we often hold back from coming to God or coming back to Jesus Christ is we simply do not realize just how much he loves us and just how much we are cherished by him. The church is the apple of his eye. Yes, he disciplines those he loves, which is often why bad things happen in our lives, but his grace and mercy and love is always overflowing to us. So come. Come back to Jerusalem. That's what it meant for God's people back then. For us today, it means coming to Jesus Christ. The one who loves us, the one who gave himself for us, and for all those times we go off in the wrong direction, trying to live our lives with little or no reference to him. Come back to him, seek his forgiveness, receive his spirit, don't delay, come. And the final thing to say is to see from here is to be glad. In verses 10 to 13. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. So here Zechariah now addresses those people who have returned um, to Jerusalem. Already made the journey back, they've got the rubble, 
of the old city walls lying at their feet and the rebuilding project stalled. No doubt they are discouraged, they are disappointed, they are frustrated, they're probably thinking to themselves, why did we leave the comfort of Babylon to come back here? And Zechariah is like, no, 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 no. There is still so much for you to be joyful about, even now. Because God will be with us. He is coming. The future's bright. Things will get better. And this city will be rebuilt in ways you can't even begin to imagine. Even now, you can shout. You can be glad. And so it is for us today. A whole host of reasons that you and I might be feeling discouraged right now. Loss of freedom with lockdown. Loss of loved ones due to COVID. Unable to meet as a church in person. Cynicism, criticism, hurt, sorrow, fear, frustration, death, disappointment, you name it. And one day God will defeat it. He is building his church. He is protecting his church. He is with his church. Even now, we can shout and be glad. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you very much for this third vision in the prophecy of Zechariah. Thank you so much that you are building your church, that you are protecting your church that your presence is with the church now, and one day, the new Jerusalem, this perfect, eternal city, will be way better than any of us can imagine now. And so please, would we hear this call to come to you, to come back to you in repentance and faith, and no matter what we are facing right now or this week, we can look up and have our sights set on this vision. And you can move our hearts through the disappointment, the discouragement, to rejoice, to shout, and to be glad in Jesus Christ. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.